politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hey, thanks for joining us for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK. Hope you're making it a habit to join us every Tuesday afternoon at 1 o'clock here on 90.7 FM in Southern California and streaming for the world from kpfk.org. I have a couple of brief bits of business I want to discuss before we introduce today's program. First, uh, we've essentially wrapped up the summer fund drive, and I want to thank each and every one of you who made a pledge or a donation or contribution to KPFK, whether it was a one-time contribution or Sustainer's Circle, a monthly subscription, we appreciate it. Whether it was a little or a lot, we don't judge because we don't know your financial situation. Some people make a real sacrifice when they donate just small amounts of money to KPFK, but they do it because they feel strongly about the need and about the quality of information that comes to you from this radio station, available nowhere else on the dial, nowhere else in radio, and damn few places on the Internet. So with every your contribution, thank you. We really appreciate it. And to the nine out of ten of you who listen to this radio station and never contribute, would you please reconsider? Because just becoming a member, a contributing member of KPFK, is $25 once a year, which anybody can afford. That's 50 cents a week, $2 a month, right? Anybody can afford that. Or if you went to kpfk.org and moused over support KPFK and then went to Sustainer Circle, you could contribute as little as $5 a month. Do you think you'd miss 5 bucks a month or $10 a month? And yet that would be so important on our end. So while we thank those who have contributed and continue to contribute to this nonprofit charity, really, the, the only democratic free speech radio station in Southern California, we urge those of you who have not come to the plate yet to ante up and help us out. It's always a good time to contribute to KPFK. You can call us at 818-985-KPFK. That's 985-5735 in the 818 area code. Or just take your browser to kpfk.org slash donate and poke around in there. And there's thank you gifts and premiums and perks and coffee cups and t-shirts and that type of uh, thank you gifts. But any and every contribution is appreciated. Secondly, I want to do a brief tribute to a KPFK supporter who's been such a courageous inspiration to so many of us. Um, 
in media and outside of media. Uh, a week ago, we lost Ed Asner, um, Emmy-nominated, I think, 20 times and acknowledged to be one of the most popular television actors, although uh, he's also very well-known for his voiceover work in film. He was the voice of the main character in the movie Up. But uh, we think of him here at KPFK as a lefty rabble-rouser and the most wonderful kind of troublemaker. It's likely that the Lou Grant show was canceled in the 1980s because of Asner's activity, not only as president of the Screen Actors Guild, but more importantly, his criticism of the war in El Salvador, which was administered and sponsored by the Reagan administration. Right-wing Hollywood types like Charlton Heston raised holy hell when Asner joined the chorus of Americans who were outraged that the United States, through the Reagan administration, was training death squads and supporting these right-wing death squads in El Salvador, and for that matter, later in Nicaragua as well. In case you're not old enough to remember, these El Salvadoran death squads trained by the Pentagon under the Reagan administration were responsible for disappearing thousands upon thousands of citizens, of school teachers, of journalists, and union organizers, workers, and even children. In, in one case, when a dozen Catholic nuns, El Salvadoran nuns, were not only murdered, but raped and murdered, Reagan's Secretary of State, Al Haig, told Congress that it happened because they were communist nuns. These were shocking times. Remember, Ronald Reagan is the guy that sold weapons to our enemies to to free the hostages in Iran, and he also armed both sides in the Iran-Iraq war. In fact, George Bush's idea that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction was based largely on the fact that he bought them from the Reagan administration. The word in Washington was, we know Saddam has WMD because we still have the receipts. Of course, Saddam used those gas weapons on his own people. And so Saddam having WMDs was just a cover story to invade 15 years later in the wake of 9-11, as if Farrakh had anything to do with Al-Qaeda or 9-11, which they did not, of course. These Central American wars, these plantation wars, had nothing to do with defending democracy. Uh, quite the opposite. In Nicaragua, a democratically elected government was overthrown, and the Reagan administration was supporting the Contras, the the remnants of the Somoza dictatorship down there. So we've done that in Guatemala and in Chile and Argentina and elsewhere, overthrowing democracies and installing dictatorships. We have a long history of that. Asner got in trouble for speaking up, for organizing medical relief for the victims of that horrible tragedy. And... Um, 
CBS denied it. They said Lou Grant was canceled because of flagging ratings, but we may never know. It certainly seemed odd that a show that popular would be canceled, just as Asner was taking so much heat from the Hollywood right. And so it's a great loss. Uh, Ed Asner lived to be 91. He died peacefully a week ago. And uh, he loved KPFK, and we all loved and respected Ed and his contribution. And I just wanted to mention that and pass publicly our condolences to his family and, and friends. Ed Asner, thank you. And then by way of introducing today's program, we have a special broadcast for you today. I've dug back into my archives and pulled out a segment of an 18-hour class that I did on emotional intelligence a few years ago, probably a decade ago, in Los Angeles. Again, just a little sliver, a summary from the beginning of the second class meeting. This was three hours every Saturday for six weeks, 18 hours. And this uh, 40 minutes I'm going to play for you today is taken from the beginning of class number two, and it summarizes class number one. So essentially, it's a really nice overview of the whole idea of emotional intelligence. So that's why I'm going to present it to you. Uh, it, it's, it's a nice sampling of what do we mean by emotional intelligence, particularly what we called in this class emotional identity the understanding that you are not what you think of yourself so much as you are what you care about, and that you are a caring person. And so identity is bound up in that. Beyond the roles we play, beyond the characters that we act out in an attempt to petition other people for approval and acceptance, who is the genuine self, the authentic you that lives deep in your heart behind those masks, those roles that we play? We'll touch on that a little bit. I think you're going to enjoy it. And we'll begin right after this short break. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK. And we'll be back right after this. Van Dyke Parks here. You are listening to KPFK, listener-supported radio, where you can hear music, opinions, and points of view not often heard. But without your support, KPFK falls silent. Only you, the listener, can keep KPFK on the air. So join me in supporting Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. Just go to kpfk.org and find out how you can help. It's a good thing to do. And we're back with the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on 90.7 KPFK-FM. As I mentioned, uh, we're going to in lieu of a guest this week, feature a segment from a class I did a few years ago here in Los Angeles called Emotional Identity, a class that suggested that identity is less about what we think of ourselves than what we care about. And emotional identity, of course, is not a reference to out-of-control emotions, big, amplified, often negative emotions. It's the wisdom, the insight, and the understanding that emotions offer when we relax, when we learn to calm down and manage our emotions. It's the subtle emotion that reveals 
real insight in, in understanding into the nature of who we are, who we choose to be, uh, how we act and react, the difference between a reflexive reaction and choosing to initiate a particular behavior. Big difference, right? And because this class is from a few years ago, some of the references are a little bit dated. You hear me talking about the trend of teenagers with uh, low-slung baggy pants and uh, boys showing their boxers. Uh, it's been about a decade, I think, since that was really an issue. Some kids still do it, I guess. And and uh, so you'll just have to roll with that and allow for that. But the bulk of the information is timeless or ageless, as we often say, ageless wisdom. When presented, this class was over six weeks, three hours each week. So it's an 18-hour class. And what you're going to hear today is about 40 minutes in two segments from the second class. It's really a summary of the first class that we open class number two with. And so it's a nice overview of emotional intelligence. I really think you're going to like it. So let's settle back and give it a listen. A little bit of a class again called Emotional Identity. Here we go. As I said last week, we talked about the mental, emotional, and, and physical planes as being like a three-layer cake, you know, a, a German chocolate cake. And yet... In many, uh, how shall I say, situations or in many contexts, the mental and emotional are blended together. Again, there's, there's doctors for physical ailments and there's doctors of mental health, but you don't find very many people and certainly there is no license that I know of for being an emotional health specialist because traditionally mental health has included emotional health. And we've been taught, most of us, either professionally or informally, to think of emotions as a function of the mind. And certainly there is interplay. In fact, the interplay is not even limited to mental and emotional nature, but even mental, emotional, and physical nature. Consider it a triangle, if you will, as well as a three-layer cake. In either event, if you change any one of the three, the other two are affected. If you change your mind, that will impact the way you feel and the way you speak and behave. Speech is a behavior. That would be speech and behavior would be the physical. If you change your emotions, and you might say, what do you mean change your emotions? I've heard of changing my mind. I've heard of changing my language and my behavior, I never heard anybody talk about changing my feelings. Yeah, exactly. That's why you're here. It can be done, and you're going to learn to do it for the better, to change mostly negative feelings into positive feelings through understanding. Understanding is the philosopher's stone. Understanding is the magic of love. It's the way love heals, is through understanding more on that. But uh, we could also just change our behavior, and that would change the way we think and feel. So whether you change your thoughts or change your feelings or change your behavior, the other two are going to be affected. 
So, again, just consider that even though we've been taught traditionally, even those of us who've studied psychology, to think of emotions as a function of the mental nature or a subset of mentality that um, will honor the intersection and the interaction of all three. But nevertheless, think of the mental, emotional, and physical natures as three distinct planes of existence, really. And just as there are physical forms that can be shared, I could pick up a, this bag and, and hand it to Kasha, and he could look through it and hand it back. Well, in the same way, I'd like you to consider it's a bit of a stretch, but it is found in the wisdom traditions of all cultures and from all times, the idea that thoughts and feelings are also forms or things that exist independently on their own plane of existence. It's just our physical senses are clued into the physical plane. Our physical senses don't really reveal much about the mental and emotional nature. But those are planes. And the reason I even bring it up is I want you to consider that the thoughts and feelings that we believe we generate either consciously or unconsciously, are really not generated by us so much as attracted to us by a fourth element. And that's the nature of consciousness itself, awareness. And this is the higher self that we talked about last week. This is the true self. This is the overshadowing self. This is the eternal self. Religious people might want to call it a soul. I'm okay with that. Okay, there's lots of different names for this uh, higher self. But when we talk about a workshop entitled Finding Yourself in Paradise, we're looking for the authentic, genuine you. Not, as I said at this point last week, not the character role that we play. And we all do. And we're so good at playing the character roles that most of us would insist, oh no, I gave that up long ago. I stopped playing characters. But the truth is we don't. I have a little persona that I put on when I'm on the radio. It's not that different from the Michael Benner who does seminars. Or that different from the Michael Benner that goes home and lives with his wife and two cats. But if my mother calls and I say, hi, Mom, I got a little role I play. I got a little character role. I don't use exactly the same language with my 84-year-old mother that I might use with you. We need to honor that. We need to get real about that, not be ashamed of it, because, again, it begs the question, uh, who are we really? If some part of us is choosing, albeit largely unconsciously, these various roles that we play in these characters, and what is that part? 
if we are not really our thoughts, but the way we think and the feelings that reflect intimately and personally who we really, really are, who is this true self, this genuine self? What is the source, for example, of these thoughts that arrive full-blown in the Eureka experience of aha, you know, the aha experience technically is called Eureka Illumination, that, oh, that light bulb phenomenon of, oh, my Lord, I just realized whole new information already thought out, arriving full-blown into who you think you are. Where'd that come from? Or here's a phrase I like. On second thought, what? Where'd that come from? I'm thinking, and I'm telling you what I'm thinking. And then suddenly, something interrupts my thought train and says, "Uh uh-uh, there's more, or different, something new. And so I may even say, well, wait a minute, on second thought? Wait a minute, if I'm my thoughts... Or my feelings, or my body, where the heck did that come from? I mean, consider that you and I are alive on this earth at an incredibly exciting time. We're about to wake up. Oh, and just in the nick of time, don't you think? Oh, my Lord. Isn't it funny we have this false dichotomy, this simple-minded debate that's promulgated by the media, and you only have two choices. You notice in school you have at least four choices in a multiple test, and often none of the above or all of the above. But in the real world, it's either or. Everything's true or false in the media world. This way or that. And so here's a debate between creationism or evolution. I'm sorry, those are your only choices. No, not nearly good enough. As frustrating as it used to be back in the day at KLOS and KABC when the Cold War was still on, and we would debate between capitalism Or communism. And socialism, well, that's just communism in disguise. And free enterprise, well, that's just capitalism that hasn't grown greedy enough yet. There's really only two systems. And and the madness of this all. But just as capitalism and communism have more in common than not, false scarcity, for example, Creationism and evolution are both based on the common idea that creation already happened. And in the case of evolution, it continues to unfold somewhat, but we're still a victim of it. It's only creation of the species. And so the giraffe's neck gets a little longer as the trees grow a little higher. What about the idea that creation is still happening and we're doing the creating? 
and are absolutely responsible for what we create. And again, as I said last week, this is a this is a little difficult because again, we've got this DVD now, The Secret, and the book that followed, which is a nice introduction to the concept of personal responsibility, but it's very, very simple in its approach, and it's also limited largely to materialism. The idea of using the law of attraction to stop war or to end poverty and hunger, homelessness, I guess that doesn't sell. Like, you could have a Lamborghini. What the hell are you going to do with a Lamborghini? You know? Except spend your whole life afraid somebody's going to push a shopping cart into it. You know? And watching it age. Um, we are the co-creators of our lives, but that doesn't mean everything that happened to you, you created. Maybe you have. I know Esther Hicks in her books and the Abraham prophecies, the Abraham teachings that the secret was largely based on says that you are absolutely responsible for every situation you find yourself in. Well, I agree with that in terms of responsible, the ability to choose a response. That doesn't mean that you created consciously or unconsciously the situation you find yourself in. And this is not discussed in metaphysics. Most teachers don't even distinguish between the part of life that comes to you and the part of life that comes out of you. And certainly the media, government, advertisers, movers and shakers, powerful people are going to promote only the stimulus side, only the side that's done to you. And then tell you it's not your fault, that you're a helpless victim, and you need us, the politician, the government. You need this product. You need this service because you're just so pathetic. We're here to save the day. The idea that life is a two-way street. And, yeah, stuff happens to you. This is what I mentioned, the, the, the John Lennon quote that, Roy of Hollywood brought up when he interviewed me a couple of weeks ago. He said, Michael, John Lennon says reality is what happens to you while you're making other plans. And it's true, but it's also true, as John Lennon said, that reality leaves a lot to the imagination. Was John confused? Well, probably at times, as we all are. But both of those statements, though at first blush appearing somewhat contradictory, are true. Life is done to us and it comes out of us. And so whether we're responsible for what's done to us seems to me is not really that important. Because whether we create the situation we're in or whether we acknowledge that we're in a sea, an ocean of people all creating their realities, which makes us co-creators and our co-creations intersect. So I am creating my reality, but I'm sharing it with your realities. I dreamed up this class. 
but so did you. And without your dreams and thoughts of being here, I'd be in an empty room. So you created me, I created you, we all created each other. Secret doesn't talk about that. Too complex, I guess. So whether we create our reality through the magnetic nature of consciousness that stands above and behind thoughts, feelings, and behavior, or whether we're co-creators or whether there really is some randomness at work, and we, we really may be victimized from time to time. What difference does it make if we are responsible for how we look at it and what we do with it? I think this is very important. In school, we learned in biology about stimulus response systems. You know, you sneak up behind somebody and go, boo! And they don't choose to jump, they just jump, okay? Uh, a, a fly goes by a lizard and he goes, whoop, and swallows the fly. Didn't decide to do it. It was automatic, autonomic, knee-jerk. And that's the way most of us live our lives. Even the most important decisions we make, we often make unconsciously, like we are simply some sort of stimulus response mechanism, but we've been gifted with something very, very special that most of us haven't learned to use yet. And I'm talking about humanity, not the folks in this room, because again, I, I continue to insist what an exceptional group of individuals that you would even be interested in this material, much less here. We have been gifted, and perhaps this is why it's said that we're in the image of the Creator, unlike the other kingdoms. Between stimulus and response is perception, perspective, point of view, choose your P. <laughs> attitude, how about attitude? And while I cannot choose in every situation what happens to me, sometimes stuff just happens, huh? And there's no shortage of metaphysicians who say, well, you don't know you created that, but with your funky way of thinking and your bad attitude, you magnetized all of that. Well, I think that's a smart attitude but I don't know that it's always true. I don't know that because I'm not that conscious. We are at best. We used to say 10% conscious. I don't know. It's looking more like 2 or 3% on a good day. And the more stressed we are, the less conscious we are. Okay? So I don't know what's 100% conscious, but I do know that according to these concepts, these ancient wisdom concepts from all societies and all cultures, the wisest women and men around the world have talked about the magnetic or attractive nature of consciousness, attracting not just circumstance and relationship, but even thoughts and feelings. So maybe we're responsible for the situations we find ourselves in, 
and maybe were partially responsible because I conjured it up, but it was unconscious. I didn't mean to. And maybe there's some room for co-creation and even victimization. But I do know this, my friends, that we can develop our consciousness. We can be more conscious, more aware, more awake to such an extent that it's a whole new you that you've broken through to, a whole new sense of self, if we choose our perspective, our point of view, our attitude, how are you going to look at it? How are you going to frame it? That's a choice. Life gives you lemons, make lemonade. You've heard that, right? We even have sayings like, uh, life is what you make it. Everybody knows that. I'm not sure why, since so few of us believe it, but we say it. What we believe is no life's what's done to us. And as I've done with virtually every class I've taught for the last 25 or 30 years, I suggest you go out into public and eavesdrop a little bit in coffee shops, at work, in other public places, and listen to what passes for conversation and small talk. It is 95% a pity party. It's whining and complaining about, I'm more miserable than you are. I'm in much more pain than you. Isn't it odd we want love and yet we settle for sympathy? Sympathy's for funerals. It's not a lifestyle. Pathetic. Listen. Listen to people outbidding each other. I'm a victim three times more than you, and I raise you two more times on my victim to see if you can be more of a victim. Oh, yeah, I can be a bigger victim than that. I can be more helpless than you, and we call this small talk. And you can hear the politicians appealing to it, and you can hear the advertisers appealing to it. Okay. How rare are the conversation where people get together, two, three, four people, whatever the number, and say, guess what I accomplished today? Guess what I was able to contribute today? Guess what we were able to pull together today for the greater good of all concerned? I'll tell you this, when you find those people... Get their email address because you want, <laughs> you want more of those people in your life. So we can choose our point of view, the attitude that we adopt, whether we create or contribute to or are victimized by the stimulus, by what happens to us. And we can also choose our response. And as I mentioned last week, that Serenity prayer that the AA people use a lot. Lord, grant me the serenity to accept what I cannot change. And the courage to change what I can, but most importantly, the wisdom to know the difference. Here it is, the wisdom to know the difference. 
You cannot control what's happening to you. Give it up. You can't control the weather. You can whine about it and gripe about it. Probably not on a day like today. Sure is a nice day, isn't it? We can't control the weather, but we can look outside and dress for it. Here's your power in perception and response. And what do I do with this mess I find myself in? Where's the silver lining? Where's the blessing in disguise? Where is the opportunity for growth in this miserable situation that I find myself in? And then I study a little bit of metaphysics, and I find out it's all my fault. I created it all. What a dummy I am. I could have had the Lamborghini and the $4 million house, just like those guys on The Secret. Again, no show of hands, but how many people do we know that saw the secret? No, no, no show of hands. That's only half a sentence. Who saw the secret, got fired up, pumped up, went out, and tried it. I like this word. Actually, I despise the word, but I tried. Would somebody volunteer now to try standing? I mean, either you stand or you don't. You cannot try to stand up. Okay? I tried the secret. I tried it. I've still got my same beat-up 1987 Corolla sitting out in the driveway. No Lamborghini. I've looked every place. I'm still living in my one-room apartment with the broken vacuum cleaner and the long-haired cats. You're listening to a bit of a class that I did here in Los Angeles a few years ago. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to KPFK. Greetings. Delegate elections are underway, and you are invited to leave a voicemail on 510-993-0320 with your questions and comments for candidates running to represent you on the local station board. We will invite all candidates to respond to your questions and produce an on-air election forum. Visit elections.pacifica.org for more information about the delegate election process, and remember to vote before 8.59 p.m. Pacific Time on October 15th. It's 90.7 FM KPFK in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM North San Diego, 99.5 FM Ridgecrest, and online at kpfk.org. You're listening to KPFK at 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. In the Santa Barbara area, KPFK is heard at 98.7 FM. In northern San Diego, 93.7. And in high desert Ridgecrest and China Lake at 99.5 FM. Thanks for being with us. This is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, heard every Tuesday afternoon, beginning at 1 o'clock, right here on KPFK. Also streaming for the world at kpfk.org, and we stream on demand at theagelesswisdom.com, podcast for the world on all platforms. 
Today we're listening to a little bit of a class I did a few years ago in Glendale at the American Red Cross building. This was an 18-hour class spread out over six weeks. And we're just sampling a little bit of class number two, the beginning of our second week where I summarize the first week. So it's a nice little introduction to the whole idea of emotional intelligence and what we called emotional identity. So here we go. Here's the second part of emotional identity. I tried. It's not about trying. It's about getting real. You got the rest of your life to figure out how much of the situations that we find ourselves in you've created or contributed to creating and what percentage of it maybe is random. Get the rest of your life to do that. Right now, if you can just take ownership and responsibility, the ability to choose a response in these two areas, what's the best way to look at this and what's the best way to respond? And do it in altered states, in states of deep relaxation, where you have more choices and better choices. And expanded awareness through which to recognize those better choices and to seize upon them and then initiate them in the world. Do you understand how initiating an even-tempered, well-reasoned response in any situation is far superior than merely reacting to it? Out of the way, you jerk. Yeah, well, you too, and the horse you rode in on. We're real good at being four years old on the playground. Neener, neener, neener. This is very significant. And if you just think of responsibility as the ability to choose a response. I've heard a lot of teachers say, responsibility is the ability to respond. Well, far out, but I, that doesn't teach me anything. Responsibility is the ability to choose consciously a response and to do it from a relaxed place where you're less likely to be that character or one of those characters and much more likely to have access to the higher self, to the true self, to the authentic self, which is always good and true and beautiful. And I can promise you, I can promise you that as you discover and develop your relationship with the truth of who you are, that the more you know yourself, the more you will like yourself, the less critical you will be of who you are, and the more humble you will become. One of the greatest resistances, if I can say it that way. One of the greatest reasons for resistance to personal and spiritual growth is all this self stuff. We've actually been called the me generation. Like we're all narcissistic. Well, it's not me as opposed to you that we baby boomers have been interested in. It's not me or you, it's me and you. But I've still got to come first. To put yourself first 
is not selfish behavior unless putting yourself first is followed by disregard for the impact on other people. But to put yourself first as a way of maximizing your empathy, your contribution, that which you have to offer other people is absolutely essential. And again, the classic example is the air mask on the airplane. Did I mention this last week? No? We got through a whole class and I didn't bring that up? You know, every time you get on an airplane, the flight attendants go through this little checklist, you know, this thing, and say if the cabin should depressurize, which is airplane talk for if a door falls off. Yeah. These air masks will drop down and be sure to do what? And the reason they have to tell you again and again and again is that humans, I almost said human people, humans, people, human peoples, humanoids are so good and so kind, generally speaking, that they'll busy themselves helping everybody else and not care for themselves, not even put the air mask on first. We wouldn't want it seen as selfish. So we have to be reminded of the obvious. Take care of yourself. That you are then able to care for others. Put yourself first. The most important person in Mother Teresa's life had to have been Mother Teresa. Otherwise, how would she have known herself well enough to recognize the opportunity to selflessly give of herself to others that they might benefit and she might benefit. But that was a different self, wasn't it? It wasn't the small s self that saw benefit in dedicating your life to service of the poorest people in the world. That was a capital S self that said you have to give to be worthy to receive. So this is as much summary as I'm going to do right now. I do want to do the opening focus. We'll do some Q&A after that about this and about all of last week. But gosh, if we can get past this idea, I don't know. I just don't know. If you want to believe Esther Hicks or some rigid interpretation of metaphysics that says, yeah, you created everything. You're the reason people are hungry in Darfur. Really? I don't even know how to spell Darfur. It's all your fault. You are responsible. Let's get smart. What are they really trying to say? We can't possibly be responsible for everything that happens to us. Except in the sense that spiritually we are but one. In that sense, of course. Like Doreen said last week, there's only one of us here, spiritually. But materially, we're very diverse, even unique, and of course, separated, and spend much of our lives as a result feeling that separation, this alienation, and casting about, trying to find 
who we really are. Let's at least settle on, I can be responsible for my perspective, point of view, or attitude. And choose to choose. And I can be responsible for substituting a response for a reaction. (sighs) Even-tempered, well-reasoned response for a knee-jerk reaction. And often, you know, a funny thing, I touched on this briefly last week, and it'll come up again, I'm sure, many times when we choose to choose our response. And are conscious enough to say to self, I'm not sure what to say, so I'm not going to say anything. And I'm really not sure what to do, so I'm not going to do anything. And you keep getting more and more conscious, and after a few minutes or a few hours or maybe a few days, depending on the situation, there's nothing left to do or say. It was just a big phantasm that you thought you had to react. You thought you had to set them straight. You thought you had to reinterpret reality for these poor fools rather than celebrate the fact that we've all got a different reality. Whatever is the number of people in this room is the number of experiences of being in this. We've got to honor the nature of that personal reality if we are going to find the higher self. And as you do, as you develop that, you're going to like who you are, you'll be less critical of who you are, and you will be more humble. People who have big egos, who think they're all that, carry their egos around in a wheelbarrow, a chip on their shoulder, an attitude that they have something to prove, they think they're better or superior, (laughs) are not people with healthy egos. They are not people who know who they are. There are people who don't know who they are, and therefore they pump up this BS front. As we all tend to do, usually in a much smaller degree, to a lesser degree, to our people-pleasing and character-playing. But can you get a sense of how liberating it must be? To find a real you that you can fall back on, even if it means you got to like button your lip and not do anything for a while until you can (sighs) turn away from the madness of the physical world as perceived through sense and sensation and go within and say, this is my personal experience, my experience. And even if I didn't create it or co-create it, even if I am a victim of it, I can choose how I look at it and how I respond. And that's the wisdom to know the difference. Okay? And another way of looking at our adventure in discovering yourself, your true self, the eternal immortal self, for the happiness that it will bring you, the sense of purpose that is guaranteed, and the sweet humility. You're, you're, you're 
you've already seen, I'm sure, by virtue, again, by virtue of the fact that you're here in this class, you've already seen your growth in terms of becoming kinder and gentler and more loving and more understanding and more empathetic. The very things that this world needs are unfolding naturally and normally, but we can't. These are such critical times. We can't wait for the natural unfoldment. We have to accelerate the growth, in at least in some significant number of people. It's not going to take the world becoming enlightened. It will not take the majority of the world to become enlightened. Just some significant number. I, 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 I don't know. 2%? 10%? I don't know. I know when I look at fads, figures of speech and other conventions that become popular, it's a very small group of people that start that. I mean, how many people got together and decided that teenage boys should show you their boxers? <laughs> Or shop at the big and tall store for pants that three of them could get into. I mean, what? Or that I could take a $12 Hanes t shirt and simply put DKNY on the front and turn it into a $45 t shirt. Who decides these things? A very small minority. <laughs> Just a, a, a tiny little seed thought is all that it takes for the masses. To say, well, I got to buy baggy pants and then pull them down and or wear a DKNY t-shirt. I can't just wear any old t-shirt. What <laughs> would people think? Who cares? Except people who don't know themselves. That's another liberating aspect of this. The more you know about yourself, the less it matters what other people think. Again, I learned this through doing talk shows. Uh, you don't have to have a talk show to figure this out. That's just how I figured it. I always wanted to please everybody. I really did. You wouldn't know that to think of some of the shows I used to do back at KLOS and KABC when I was really confrontative. But the people I would attack, the people who I would eviscerate verbally, rhetorically, were only those, I rationalized later, were only those who promoted fear or war, hatred, or some kind of violence. And they, I decided, were grist for the mill, that I was really doing a good thing, and I really wanted to please everybody. Can't please everybody. In fact, it's not your job to please everybody. It's your job to discover yourself and be true to yourself. And to honor your individuality. You are not other people. You know, if I had, if you ever see one of those crossword, not, I don't mean crossword, what do I mean? Jigsaw puzzles that they have, like the 10,000-piece jigsaw puzzle of the old mill stream or something. If you spent two or three months putting that puzzle together, and only when you finished did you realize that you only had 9,999 of the pieces, 
and one piece was missing, would you put it back in the box and put it on the shelf for another rainy day? I think you'd throw it away. And someone might say, you you don't have to throw that away. It's not broken. It's not wrecked. I can see the old mill stream. It's just this one little piece that's missing. In fact, it's not even in the middle. It's sort of off to the side. But it's an essential piece to the wholeness of the puzzle. And each of you is essential. I know you're not used to thinking of that because ego jumps in and goes, far out, I'm essential. No, no, not you, ego. We can do without you. You're for survival. But the true self, the higher self, the consciousness aspect that magnetically attracts circumstance and relationship and opportunity, that magnetically attracts your physical condition, your emotional thoughts, and your mental thoughts. That true you, that higher self, that spiritual aspect, your soul, that eternal part of you, that's who you really are. And that part is essential, absolutely. Hold that thought. I want to do the opening focus, and then we'll do Q&A. Okay? And from there we go into a meditation exercise, which obviously we can't do on the radio and don't have time for anyway. So thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Join us next week, Tuesday at 1 o'clock on KPFK 90.7 FM. We'll return to our guest format. And I also want to mention to you, we've updated my reading list. I've been providing this for years and years to people who requested it. It's now posted on theagelesswisdom.com in the upper right corner. Just click on reading list. You don't have to sign in or leave an email or anything. It's totally free. Happy to give it to you. These are the books that have had the biggest impact on me and my life and my career and the most influential. I think you'll find great value in Looking down through this list, it's in two parts, personal development and spiritual development. There is some overlap, but you'll sort of get a feel for that when you check it out. TheAgelessWisdom.com in the upper right, click on Reading List. And make it a point to join us next week for The Mystery School on KPFK. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. So long.